Hello everyone and welcome to Discussing Trek. Today we are reviewing Star Trek Discovery Season 4 Episode 6, Stormy Weather. Thank you for subscribing. What we do here on this podcast is review each and every episode of Star Trek in somewhat excessive detail in addition to talking all things Trek. Like always, I'm your host Clarence and I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts slash Trekkies starting with none other than Kyle Jones. How you doing, man? You know what? I think this is an excellent, excellent title for a review, being stormy weather, because I've had a stormy Monday in my head. It's been busy, but I'm here at least for the moment. So glad to be here as always. Woohoo. All right. Well, we are sorry about your stormy weather, but we are glad you are here as well. And also on the podcast, we have Jonathan Shorts. How you doing, man? I am doing well, man, doing well. I can't complain because I obviously is not having a day like Kyle. So I feel for you, sir. I wish I could help. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. So we're going to get right into our review of Star Trek Discovery's Stormy Weather. Stormy Weather was written by Ann Koval Sanders and Brandon Schultz, while the episode was directed by Jonathan Frakes. Seeking answers, the USS Discovery ventures into a subspace rift created by the Dark Matter Anomaly. Meanwhile, Book faces a strange visitor from the past. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle station. I'll give you the right. You cannot destroy an undemon. At ease before you spray something. Like always, we go to Kyle Jones for the beats of the episode. Sometimes serious, sometimes comedic. You never know. Cal Jones, what do you have for us this week, sir? Oh, I think I have a good one, at least in my head. And, you know, as long as in my head, it makes sense. That's kind of all that matters. Well, at least to me, but maybe not to everybody else. But anyway, uh, and as you can tell, I'm running like on major caffeine. So sometimes space can be loud, but sometimes, not very often, but sometimes, even in space, silence will fall. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> nice obviously a doctor who quote there but but i'll pull one of the old gundam wing quotes from back in the day space is so quiet which is one of my favorite ones a few people will get that one but i love i love that show <laughs> but john man what did you think of this episode dude high level view oh man i, I don't i'm i, I don't want to really form an opinion until we talk like i want to say it was really really good then i want to say Maybe not much there, but saying not much there, it was still really, really good. And maybe the flash drive was in the computer, but maybe it was in the back. <laughs> so I really didn't see it much. I just knew it was there. So that's that's what you got. Dude, I literally got written down here. Welcome to Discovery, where even the computer needs therapy. Spin up that flash drive. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we need to reformat the flash drive. Seriously. Oh, my God. It's in the ship now. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> Kyle Jones, additional thoughts, man. I think I liked it. I, I didn't feel any drives or flashes or anything like that. I don't think it was the most, like, memorable slash, I don't know, episode. But if you look at it, comparing it to other things, it didn't give me any type of acid reflux watching it. So I I enjoyed it. Yeah. And I think I tend to agree. I liked, didn't love. 
I feel like there were plenty of good, plenty of great hints to other series that were actually implemented in, in, in this episode, which I thought all were really great. Also, I like the exploration of Book's father a bit, which I'm confused on that. I have questions about that later, <laughs> but but I, I think it was a good, very tricky episode. We got to see more of the, the crew, the teammates chip in, which I thought was good as well. So, you know, barely advanced the story. It kind of if, if Jeremy were here, he would definitely say this is a filler episode. <laughs> <laughs> it got us to where we need to go. It would be his exact words. But. And I do kind of feel that I feel like that it just got us to that next step in discovering what the DMA is. But I think I enjoyed it while we were here. So, yeah, let's go ahead and get into it. This episode was bookended by the Lalagi orb. My only thought there was someone really needs to make a real VR experience of being able to build your family tree with this type of VR type technology. I thought that looked really cool. Listen in, Ancestry. (laughs) We're going to get into, definitely get into Zora in this episode. But what do we think about the end when she built her own of the crew? Was that just something to make us smile at the end with all the trick feels? Or, man, let's just get into Zora. What the is going on? (laughs) Uh, So, you know, all of those people that say, you know, with computers getting so smart and we're playing with AI, like there's going to be consequences. Like this is what that looks like in the beginning. <sighs> mm. Man. So so obviously in this episode, Zora continues her development. And what we see in this episode is, you know, again, I, I had that flash drive feeling a large part of that in this particular episode was that emotional portion of that development. And I do feel like maybe they just wanted to write more for Gray to do. Uh, but I don't know if I liked it, though. I don't know if I liked it. I did like parts of it. I mean, I like the analogy to when they actually get into this rift, how um, sensing your own heartbeat can be off putting when you actually focus in on it. I thought I thought all of that explanation that was kind of good but still confusing to me because she's a computer she can do a million things at one time why is this an issue the computer does not need emotions you know it's this kind of you touched on it and i just want to throw it out there so i it randomly like a couple of weeks ago i don't know what got me on the rabbit hole you know you get on google and you go down these rabbit holes and i something got me on finding like the quietest place on earth and like Mm. there's this and don't get me to telling you a lie where this was some state. I want to say, I don't know, somewhere, maybe Ohio or, but this guy, he created this completely soundproof room. Like you go in and it's probably like a size of a studio apartment or somewhat, but it's the quietest place on earth. And you can only stand to be in it like no more than maybe 10 minutes because the sounds of your own bodily functions become so loud and annoying, basically that you just, your brain can't handle it. Mm. Mm. So like a extreme sensory deprivation type thing. Yeah. So I, I kind of felt Zora like in this moment, like you're so used to having the input of trillions of different things, sensors and voices and, system monitors and you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden it goes to nothing. And all you have to focus on is yourself. 
And that's that, that. I mean, to anyone, that'll be disconcerting. Now, imagine all the input a computer is used to getting and then you take it away. Hmm. Cal, does greater focus bring greater awareness? Mm. I don't know, but <laughs> I just am going back and saying it as I'm watching this. I keep thinking over and over and over in my head. The writers and producers of this, and I know we said this before, they had to listen to relativity. I'm sorry, <laughs> but this is this is right, right up uh, the guidelines of relativity. Oh yeah, it is. I didn't think about that. So is Zora now fully sentient? And I guess furthermore, is that going to be a huge problem? Because I I think we're barreling down that road of Zora causing some real issues down the line. It. It is scary, but I I tell you one comforting fact I heard her say at some point through here was, I I guess she was talking to Gray or maybe uh, Captain Burnham, but she says, I am a sentient being inside of a computer. So she still realizes that separation, which is somewhat comforting, but not really. I don't know. Like, I I, I just it made me feel a little better. Like, she's not gone completely off the rails like. She's yeah. a sentient being inside of the computer, but yet she's still controlling the computer's function. So we kind of need her to reel it in here. Because yeah, because now I'm thinking like, man, I won't take this shit back. Oh, boy. <laughs> like so, when you need the computer, you don't have time to flash drive it. Yeah, you can't talk it out. You got to <laughs> be on point, you know. And, and let me add this, because, you know, I know we keep making fun of the flash drive, et cetera, and so forth. But if I, and this is just my take on it, I'm wondering if this evolution of her character as the computer gaining sentience is a byproduct of something that you guys mentioned before, which is giving Gray something to do. Because I watched, speaking of flashish type shows, I watched a little bit of the season two of Stargirl this weekend, and the dialogue that I'm hearing in Stargirl reminds me a little bit of how I see Gray and the computer interacting with each other. So uh, we can pivot pivot off Zora, but I did notice one moment that reminded me a lot of an episode of Voyager, and I cannot remember the episode. It may have been your hell, one of those episodes, but there's a moment when the EMH has to close the Jeffrey's tube with a crew member running toward it and the crew member dies. We kind of get a similar moment in this sort of when Dr. Pollard is down there to assist, but Zora has to raise the the force field and the crew member dies. So I'm just wondering, is there going to be any repercussions from things like that with Zora going forward? Because I know at some point the doctor has like an existential crisis <laughs> when somebody dies. So, you know, if we're going to bring emotions into the picture with Zora, it, it just seems like that is bound to happen at some point in the future. Yeah, it's uh that that is worrying. I mean, it kind of goes back to what we're saying is like, you need the computer to be a computer and you cannot at the times that they really depend on the computer is the time we really cannot have emotional breakdowns. And that's just setting one up like so the next time she has to make that decision, 
she may hesitate and kill a lot of people. And, and that's what Gray tells her. Mm. But, you know, it's it's fun. It's funny. I did enjoy, like like you said, that uh, force field scene reminiscent of Voyager, but the entire episode reminiscent of Voyager as far as the void. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. For real. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. Like I just and that's all I like. And I've, I've dug for 20 minutes through Voyager, the void episode of Voyager, trying to maybe form some kind of theory that would relate back to Voyager. And I couldn't. But, man, they worked really hard. Or maybe maybe it was just coincidence that it just seemed a lot like the void. Same same scenario, being trapped, really not knowing which way to go because they start their computer or the ship. They couldn't triangulate because they use galactic formations and yeah. stars and all that to navigate. And without that, they couldn't navigate. They couldn't find the way out. Oh, uh, yes, you're right. I need to go back and watch that one. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm loving all the references. We get direct references to, yeah, we to, do. to, to Voyager and Enterprise in this episode. But before we pivot on that, let's. I want to. I want to dive into what I feel is an, another BC plot is the the book's father storyline. Eventually, we see where Book tries to do a jump within this subspace rupture, and he starts having these hallucinations. What do we think of Book facing his father during these hallucinations? Uh, you know, for me, and I'll answer first. I just feel like maybe it was a cathartic moment for him to finally get to the next step. I think you said in our last review, John, um, steps of grief. This this might just be a part of him getting to his next step and eventually getting better by being able to solve this issue that he's been having with his father for I'm assuming years. And you know, his father dies. I'm guess he died on Quay John. Yeah, that that, that was a problem for me because there's like I, I, unless I miss something, I've never heard him reference his father. Not directly, you know, like I think maybe in the first or first or second episode of the last season, he may have been referenced in in so much as just saying why he was rescuing the transworms. Uh, I guess I, I just felt like this was a good time to throw something in to build on later. Well, that's the question, Cal. Do you think that this was merely an hallucination? Because he seemed to have very thorough conversation with. Whatever this was, I, I really couldn't tell whether it was a hallucination or, or some other spirit or he even references it maybe being a spirit. Mm, I took it more as a hallucination only because it occurred after he was, for be- lack of a better term, electrocuted. I saw it was a byproduct of firing his synapses a bit. I'm not saying it wasn't something else, but that was just, you know, kind of how I took it. So what would be a way of explaining it if it were real and not a hallucination? Well, I'm saying what would have put him there? And we keep we keep going back to this in Discovery. You know, first it was Hugh and Stamets. Yeah, Hugh Stamets, Tilly's friend. We had Gray and uh, 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 Adira. Right. It just It's a reoccurring theme in Discovery of having this person we can't see. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they're building to something or it's just happenstance, but 
Yeah, it's I don't just know. true if you have an imaginary friend and your own discovery, that imaginary friend has more likely a chance than not to be made real. <laughs> yeah, right. That is true. That is and true. And that, that's exactly where I was going with it, Kyle. was like, you know, if, I mean, statistics so far say that he is real <laughs> and so he is not a hallucination. <laughs> good point. Good, 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 good point. But what what threw me for a loop in the whole thing, it, it, it seemed as if his father gave him new information, you know, because his father tells him, oh, I was basically under the hand of the Emerald Chain. And that's why I had to hunt the tra- transworms for protection. It it may have been something book knew already in the back of his head, but he just didn't come to, to grips with, you know, he could have just been rationalizing, rationalizing it at this moment. It could have been that. But he seemingly gave him new information. That's what threw me off. Uh, so I don't yeah. know. I don't know. And it's kind of a revelation that there were hunters on Quajon. Like, I, I would have assumed because of their connection to the life on the planet that they would kind of be like a non-harming species. Mm-hmm. You would think. But he even says, like, these transworms were the sacred animals of Quajon. And his father was hunting them. So... I don't know, man. I don't know. But he he also referenced himself as being a hunter. Like, that was part of their culture. What do you think of the father's warning to Book about Starfleet or Quajon? You know, Starfleet versus Quajon. One day you'll have to choose. See, and that, that further took my thought of this not being real because I saw that being his internal dialogue because for all intents and purposes, he's getting the best of both worlds a little bit. And it's mainly because you're sleeping with the captain for lack of a better term. (laughs) So blunt, Cal, so blunt. but, but, But really and truly that's name me someone else that would have the autonomy, but yet the privilege that he has on any other Star Trek story. Now, you could argue that Neelix was not a member of the Federation, but no offense to anyone who is a chef, he was the cook. <laughs> yeah, true. He wasn't able to interact with the ship to the level of he could make it teleport. Yeah, you're right. Oh, yeah, huge point. So, so that was how I saw that in my head was that's his own internal struggle of trying to reconcile am i federation am i myself am i quajon what am i that's how i saw it and it kind of touches on what we were kind of assuming the past couple of episodes you know it's like the prisoner that uh, burnham decided to leave there and kind of based on federation logic and like at that point that particular moment he saw the separation of what Burnham, like how far Burnham was willing to go to observe Federation law. Uh, same thing on that planet with the flop butterfly people. Like he just kind of wanted to shoot them <laughs> and she wanted to deal with them. Like he's just not, it's not his world and that's not what he's used to dealing with. And take it from his perspective. When he first met Burnham, she was not part of the Federation. She was a bounty hunter or whatever they were doing. Like, that was her. That's who he fell in love with. He knew nothing about, I mean, he probably knew somewhat about it, but not to this detail. So imagine you meet somebody, you fall in love with them out doing crime, for instance, and then you find out that they're actually like a government official or FBI agent or whatever the case may be. And then you have to adjust to that. That's going to be a hard adjustment. So, yeah, I think it's totally in his head. 
Yeah, they lived for like a year as if Discovery wasn't ever coming back. She was still trying to find the source of the burn with the book, but they lived as, <laughs> not going to say pirates, but they lived on the edge, I guess, which is interesting. So speaking of uh, stuff getting torn apart, which might be the future of <laughs> the burn book relationship, <laughs> let's talk about this subspace rift, the subspace rupture. And and Burnham has been ordered to investigate the subspace rift. We get inside the subspace rift where we mentioned before Zora having issues, but there's no comms, no sensors, no visuals. And what I liked about this is that we had team effort on exploration of the problem. Let's talk about that exploration of said problem. And we finally get to see the dots go out and actually do something this season. Oh. Well, my first question comes to mind. Did we not? Why did we not launch a probe? Well, I guess the dots are a more effective probe, but because are the dots sentient? I thought they were, or maybe just some of them are. Well, you know, for a time being, they were because the sphere data transferred itself into the dots when uh, the Emerald Shane took over the ship. So they were sentient in that point. But I'm assuming that it transferred itself back into the computer. In which case would make the dots just a piece of equipment. But it did reference that, you know, when that dot was being destroyed, it was screaming. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm confused. Can Zora also exist in these dots at the same time? I guess if they have a communication link, they could she could still do that. But, yeah, I'm not sure how the how the science is working there with Zora and these dots. But it was cool to see the dots finally, though. I will say that. And then we see, oh, I, this is another question I have. We Then they send a photon flare along that same trajectory to try to figure out, you know, what made it, what made the dot dissipate. And how how does Commander Detmer do all of these calculations so quickly? Is she, is she sort of like Rutherford? Does she have like a computer brain, <laughs> partly computer brain or something? Maybe that, that, that. I didn't have an answer to your question before you said that, but I think you gave a perfect question. Maybe the fact that it is X number of years in the future, whereas it was covering what a big part of his head, this one necessarily isn't. So maybe it just kind of streamlined a little bit. But yes, to answer your question, maybe so. Yeah, it just it threw me for a loop because I'm like, these are like it felt like Vulcan like calculations that were coming from her. Um, when she had turned around and, you know, wasn't referencing anything. She was just like spouting it off on top of her head. And it took a moment and she kind of it looked like she thought about the answer and then said it. So I don't uh, know. You know, I didn't think about that until now. I just kind of assumed she got it from the computer. Mm. But I mean, now that you say that, you know, she did turn around and then hesitate before she answered like she thought of it. Yeah. You know, this conversation makes me think, and the fact that we don't know the answer to that after four seasons makes me wish that, and and, and that isn't a bad thing about her character, but it makes me wish that we would streamline the cast a little bit more to the degree that it was maybe in Next Generation or, you know, in that era, and focus some more on this bridge crew that we don't get a lot of airtime with because we spend so much time with Adira and Gray or we spend so much time with fill in your blank and I'm not and I know I just use them as an example but you see where I'm going with that is focus more on this cast so that we don't 
ask questions like what we just talked about four uh, seasons into it. Yeah, well, well, let's let's take that and pivot and, and just talk about the crew real quick. Now, we do get a bigger slice of the crew in this particular episode. Uh, we get to see Owo doing some pull-ups <laughs> during their training before they're called to to battle stations or to their positions to 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 complete this mission. So, I mean, it just seems like we everything we get from the crew is bits and pieces. It's nothing. It's nothing meaty. And now that Tilly is gone. Are they going to step somebody else up in that role? Uh, but haven't they already done that? Because in a way, I feel like Adira has replaced Tilly in several aspects. Well, listen, until this exact moment, I have not thought about Tilly at all. I like I completely forgot. About How dare Tilly. You. I know. I know. And so you just, but you just proved my point in right. a way. She just filled the Tilly role in the sense of she did things similar and asked the similar questions, maybe not exactly the same, but in a different way that was the same. And she still has that awkwardness that we would yes. get from Tilly. Like it was an awkward intelligence that Tilly gave us all the time on the bridge, and we're still getting that with Adira. Think about old school TV shows where you had star number one leave the show for whatever reason, and then they replace this with another star number two, which is basically, you know, the first person's name was Mary. And then this new character this supposed to be kind of different. His name is Molly. You can see where I'm going. (laughs) It's basically the same thing. Just change the name and whatever. And. That's what I'm feeling with with these two characters. And, you know, Kyle, like I I 100 percent agree. Like they 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 need to streamline the characters. And and I guess and I'm assuming what you're saying in that is like we kind of need to narrow our field of view to certain 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 characters on this show. And for instance, and I think maybe they got that hint by I'm holding up air quotes here, eliminating Tilly. So now she's no longer a focus, but then they put more focus on our chief medical officer, which I think, I mean, and then that kind of throws things off because now I threw a theory in there. So, you know, we go to see Hugh, he tells the book, I'm going to take you to see Hugh and Hugh's explaining everything like he's the chief, but the chief medical officer just kind of jumps in there in the middle of the explanation, just to kind of sum up what Hugh is saying, like, Hey, you're doing too much. <laughs> Let me explain. That made me mad, man. I'm <laughs> yeah. like, give Dr. Pollard her due. I mean, he couldn't. Of course, he probably said Hugh because he was his partner. And, you know, that's what he's going to immediately think of when he thinks medical stuff. But, man, give Dr. Pollard her due, man. I guess she did get the scene to see the, the 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 part of the ship get blown off. I guess she was there for that. So that's like the most she's done in three seasons. <laughs> but here we go with the original problem. Like we wasted time on that with this character, and like it's it's one of two things. Either she has no story going forward other than just that character, and we're wasting time, wasting writing and time on her, or she has a bigger part to play. In which case it exacerbates the problem of we have too many characters to focus on. Hence the difference of TNG with 20 some odd episodes per season versus this, 
which is at most, I think, 15 or 16 episodes a season. Right. Yeah. And you definitely could take an entire episode to focus on, you know, Keiko and Miles, even though they were not in TNG. They weren't even like the main part of the. <laughs> no. <laughs> you, you could take different episodes to focus on Jordy, to focus on Worf, you know. And I just feel like here we never take because we have this overarching uh, tent pole mystery box that we're trying to figure out by the end of the season. We never take that time to focus on individual characters other than the talls, other than uh, we I guess we've done with Stamets and some and definitely a lot with Book and Burnham and, and maybe some with Colbert. We just don't take in the full episode to focus on these other characters. I guess Tilly finally got her episode at the, right before she left. It's just uh, I don't know, man. Maybe we yeah. need short tricks to focus on these characters or something. But so, so let me add this real quick before we move on. You know, storyline notwithstanding, with Picard. If you were to ask me who are the characters on Picard, because I have not gone back and watched it, I may not be able to name them specifically by name. But I can, in my head right now, see every single character that was the main character in Picard without even having to think about it. I'm not as well equipped to do that with Discovery. And I love Discovery. I I know some characters that I'm like, oh, well, I like this person when they show them, but I couldn't tell you what their name is. And did you have moments when they do focus on other characters, but they're fleeting moments, like the moment in this episode when Owo approaches Captain Saru and she's pleading to go fix this containment field. And then I think that's there for us to have this sympathy or this apologetic moment at the end where she's like apologizing for, you know, stepping out of place with Saru. But still, like, what does that tell us about her character other than something happened on her planet (laughs) a long time ago? You know, and if you go back to like, TNG, Voyager, DS9. And I mean, DS9, perfect example. We have an overarching problem that we're solving. Like, but still, almost, I say roughly just in my head, estimating 95 to 98% of the time, you saw every main character on every episode at some point. And this episode, I mean, how many times have we seen uh, Jet Reno? Well, we know the reason she's not there, but yeah, we, we rarely see her. Yeah. I mean, and then, and then Dr. Pollard, I mean, here and there sometime. And then the guy, the, I keep forgetting his name, the black guy over there that keeps coming up with the brilliant suggestions. Bryce, right? Yeah, Bryce. Bryce. Yeah. yeah like I, here and there, like one episode, they're there, one episode, they're gone. One episode, they're there, one episode, they're gone. Like, I, it's just, and I know we keep beating a dead horse, but I just, you can't follow. You can't follow. You can't get into them. And then it leads us to the Detmer-like questions. Is that what she does? We keep talking about feelings this season. You know, we've made the jokes about the flash drive. We've made the jokes about, you know, discovery being where the where you everyone has problems or feelings, et cetera, and so forth. I think the problem on the flip of that, maybe the meta side of that is the fact that the viewer can't see these characters like we've been talking about for the past few minutes doesn't allow us to create the emotional bond that we might would have had when Tilly left to go do something else and felt sad about that. It was other than, oh, well, Tilly left. You I know, was as opposed, sad. I was kind of sad. I was too, but you see what I'm saying? As opposed to if you would have had, say, halfway through 
discovery, I mean, halfway through TNG, if Worf had have just left in the middle of a season. Yeah, I mean, I get it. I, again, I think there are avenues to explore these characters more. Maybe the short treks, if they bring those back, you know, just give us short treks focusing on each of these crew members. I would be happy with that. And they could use the uh, time that they're giving Will Wheaton in these ready room episodes <laughs> and just make short tricks. <laughs> I mean, I, no, I'm no, I mean, I don't mean anything bad to Will Wheaton, but he's these, a fanboy. Leave him alone. I get it, but we're wasting time. We're wasting production money on these ready room episodes <laughs> that has no. I've tried. I've watched them here and there, expecting to get something more than I got. And it's just not even when he had like this two episodes ago, two episodes ago, he had a talk with Mary Wiseman and he had this really, really emotional moment where he broke down into tears. Yeah. And he was talking about a real his like real life experience. But he was reading off of his cards and he says, you know, hey, I'm going to read this because I want to get it exactly right. But you can tell by how many times he glances at these cards. It's a prepared script. And like the whole show feels that way. And again, I don't mean any harm toward him, but it's like I would gladly take a short trick, a three minute short trick. Yeah. Yeah, But the kicker is it is so much easier to and cheaper to pay him for uh, ready rooms or whatever than it would be to produce a short trick. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I guess. And a part of that is, I feel, is you have the after Walking Dead show and you have these these ready room shows. It's just part of that is these companies just taking their voice for how the the show is viewed and it's easy additional content. You can have all these clips you can break up and put on YouTube for people to watch. So, yeah, I mean, I do find there's value in them, but but I would much rather get more short tricks. <laughs> But you know what we're probably missing, guys, is and I hadn't been listening to them, is the uh the crew logs. Are they doing those this season? Yeah. They should well, I did see a reference to one on a couple episodes ago. Okay. Uh and somebody was saying, Hey, you know, they mentioned this on the crew log and I forgot what it was, but they are doing them. I don't know how often. Well, if they're doing the crew logs, I'll throw the latest one at the end of this episode. But I know they did them last season. I just didn't. I guess I never just went and checked <laughs> since this season started because I've been so into it, I guess. But let's 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 get back into this subspace riff a little bit. You know, they find out the DMA has turned subspace toxic, question mark. And, and, and my question was, are they even in subspace? Like, where are they really? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, so... Yes, I, I guess we're to assume they're in subspace because when the DMA like disappeared through the rift, it their systems read that it disappeared into subspace. Now, we don't know what subspace can be. I mean, throughout Trek, subspace has been different things like they go into subspace and it's this way and then they go into subspace and it's that way. So, I mean, we don't know that. So I guess we're to assume that. Hmm. And. Furthermore, shouldn't Zora be able to plot a reverse course based on flight data? When she told Captain Burnham no, I was like, what? She was having a moment. (laughs) (laughs) You can't explain or ask a a newly developed sentience to replot something. She's thinking about where she's going not where she's been. She don't want to go back to where she's been. And I'm just being coy and sarcastic <laughs> there, but uh, it made no sense. If I, if I want to just be blunt, it made no sense. 
So you're telling me the electrical pulse particles in Book's brain leaves a clue to the source of the DMA that it comes from a galactic barrier outside of the Federation galaxy? Um, what? Trek no babble. <laughs> what? Commander Bryce to the rescue using 20th century technology, sound navigation and ranging, a.k.a. sonar. Is he our Tom Paris? <laughs> you know, Tom Paris was the classic 20th century expert. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> he is the MacGyver of discovery. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. Yes. <laughs> Get that guy some duct tape. He'll fix it. <laughs> well, I guess it makes sense, though. He is the communications officer. This is a basic communications thing. So, yeah, he would he would know that. Makes sense. So, John, in addition to Commander Bryce coming to the rescue, we also get the transporter buffer being instrumental in them getting getting out of this subspace rift. So I know you remember the TNG episode where we had Captain Montgomery Scott, a.k.a. Scotty, using a similar technique to survive over 75 years inside of the Dyson Sphere and the TNG episode Relics. Uh, did that come to mind as soon as they mentioned this? No, what came to mind was a... It was a Voyager episode. You remember when, and I'm trying to look it up now, but I don't remember that. So you remember when they were going through this part of space and in this part of space, they did not allow telepaths. And Janeway was smuggling a group of telepaths through space, but he had to, she had to suspend them in the transporter buffer. Uh, and it was Tuvok and, uh, yeah. Yeah. You remember right. Yeah, that was what I and I, I mean, again, I keep going back to Voyager because they kept calling this place to void. So I kept thinking of Voyager and then they keep throwing up these references. But, yeah, that's immediately what I thought about. And you're right. We had uh, we had Scotty trapped in a transporter buffer for many, many years for TNG to rescue him. So, yeah, it's I mean, there's definitely relevance to it. Yeah. To me, at this point, it should just be a fail safe in a case <laughs> of emergency. The just everybody goes automatically to the transporter buffer and uh, we get them out when, you know, it's better to be to be brought out of it because it seems like it could save them in many situations. Right. So wrapping this thing up, Captain Burnham drops life support, reinforces shields and Discovery just barely makes it out of there alive. Final thoughts on this final scene here on getting out of this this rift. And for me, I'll just go first for me i thought the visuals were freaking phenomenal it was very melodramatic kind of uh, we we're gonna barely make it zora we need you to revive us <laughs> very uh they hammed it up there but definitely i think the visuals were amazing and i actually loved how burnham awakens from the thing where it kind of goes to black and then the next thing we see is uh was it colbert's face looking down on her trying to revive yeah. her Yes, that was pretty cool. Well, what I found out, I read a, uh, I clicked on a little clickbaity type story headline, and it was Jonathan Frakes helped solve Discovery's oldest Star Trek mystery, which really led to nothing. But what we learned, <laughs> as they often do, right? But what I did learn, they changed the voice of Zora from our Calypso short trek. It was it was Annabelle Wallace, but in this particular episode, Robin Fanfare stood in for Zora. So Frank says she became a member of our cast for that time. 
as a voice or was she just there? Because I read something else that said she was just there on set to maybe make she, the reactions more natural. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But anyway, I was getting back to this. I, so through reading that article, uh, I found out it was her actual voice. She was actually singing that song. Really? Really? Which was amazing. That sound, she sounded amazing. The song was really good, but I just have this thing about breaking out in the song into anything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, nothing's going to be worse than some rules song at the end of <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in the previous season. But yeah, I just have a problem with breaking out in the song. But it, it for all intents and purposes, it did sound good. <laughs> So, yeah, it was OK. So it was sung by Annabelle Wallace herself. So I, I I just I appreciate it. I thought it was a very fitting song for the for the episode. So I think in this particular scene, like that was my favorite part for that song. And that's coming from a guy that doesn't like musicals. So got to watch Hamilton, man. Yeah. You keep telling me that <laughs> after you say you don't like people breaking out. into song. <laughs> Well, you know what you're getting. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> But yeah, it was it was good, man. It was good. I don't uh, again, I think we kind of have a breakdown in science on this particular episode. Like it just it really kind of doesn't fit. I don't I don't know. Like if if this fire or this heat could burn through the ship, I would assume it would immediately burn through the EV suit. It's hard for me to believe this EV suit is stronger than the ship's hull. Well, and for me, I'm like, why is she on the bridge? Shouldn't she go right. to like the center of the ship, which would be least affected by, you know, the bridge is like up there at the top. Like, it's going to be hit first, probably. And we killed all the life support. So shouldn't that have been enough power to put back into the shields? That's the reason I thought they killed it. But yeah, uh, I did, too. Apparently and at the very least, she could have put up her personal communication barrier thing. <laughs> Anyway, like you said, it was great visuals. I enjoyed the song. The science of it didn't quite work for me, but you know, overall, it was a good scene. See, we're definitely nitpicking. I'm gonna mention one more thing. Zora mentions all the things that are still running, and she mentions like the replicators were shut down in three minutes. I'm like, why aren't they online? We need that power <laughs> for the shields. What are we even doing right now? Yeah, was, I guess they can't cover everything. They got a lot going on with 40,000 <laughs> characters to keep up with. And, and the thing is, we don't really have that many characters when compared to TNG. We really don't. We just don't take time to talk about them. Yeah, I guess not. I don't know, man. We, we may have more characters no, than TNG. No. Well, the bridge crew, we got Bryce. We have Owo. We have... Detmer, uh, uh, we have uh, Adira, and Saru and uh, Burnham. Saru and Burnham. And that's on about the, it. But on TNG Bridge Crew, you got Riker, Picard, Data, Worf. Sometimes Deanna pops in and out. Wesley. Sometimes Jordy takes out. Yeah, Wesley. Sometimes he's there and not there. But I mean, it's like five people we could keep up with on TNG. And that's yeah. really throughout the ship. You might get your throw Beverly Crusher in there every now and then. Yeah. And then you have Guinan, which came later. You yeah. had Tasha Yar at the very beginning. And even in those seasons, they didn't focus on Jordy and Worf as much. Right. So, yeah, mm, I don't know. I just want to see these characters get their due because I feel like they're good characters, but we just don't know anything about them. Yeah. Uh, well, hopefully they'll flesh it out. But I also want to mention one more thing. Uh, you mentioned Omega Particle on the last episode. 
And this is kind of, sort of, still mm. referencing that. So we know an explosion, an omega particle reaction damages subspace. Yeah, that's true. And if we're in subspace, supposedly, and they pulled up this uh, little visual of the uh, spore network, and that just looks fractured fractured and damaged which is you know they give you a kind of a picture on voyager of subspace after a omega particle reaction and it shows like ruptured subspace so i mean it's still kind of holding consistent to that (sighs) yeah they threw me they really threw me for a loop when they said outside of uh our system uh federation's uh galaxy uh yeah that part really threw me off in I guess I guess did did any of that make you formulate a new theory on what could be the issue or did it kind of just we kind of at the same point that we were before? I'm kind of at the same point. I mean, I'm I'm still holding on. I mean, now that we if we weren't sure it was man-made, I would still be on that graviton ellipse. But now that we know it's man-made, I may, maybe somebody created a graviton ellipse using omega particles. And, you know, so these scientists were in the Delta Quadrant studying Omega particles. Yep. So, I mean, somebody possibly could have gotten that and just moved on out to the outside of the edge of the galaxy. Yeah. Let's test it here where we won't mess up warp travel or something. Right. Who knows, man? Who knows? So, with that, let's get ratings for the episode. Cal Jones, what is your rating for the episode? You know what? Even after our conversation, I know we've kind of dissected this left, right, and center. I'm going to give it a 3.9. It wasn't the best, but it did move the story along, and I didn't go away with acid reflux. So, um, (laughs) 3.9 for me. All right. John, what is your rating for this episode, sir? Uh, So, at the top of this episode, I kind of said I'm not really sure. I wanted to kind of flesh it out with you guys uh, before I make a decision, but I, I don't think it really changed much. I didn't get a lot from it, as we mentioned before, didn't advance the story much, but it was still an overall good episode. But if I think back to the cup, the few I've rated fives, this doesn't doesn't get there. So I'm going to go with a solid four. Oh, man, that is a large departure for Mr. Shorts. Here. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's just it's just there was a lot of issues in it. Not necessarily that makes it a bad episode. It was a good episode of Trick. And as we always say, not every episode can be a five. And this was one of their lower points. Still a great episode, though. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with a 4.1 on this one. For all the reasons you said, I feel like it was OK. But just, you know, the to me, the fives are spectacular. And this was just a good, solid episode. No real qualms. Except maybe some of the techno babble was a little swirly and Again, they pulled out the flash drive, so maybe that's why I'm not rating it as high as well. But I did did enjoy it. So that's a 3.9 from Cal, a 4 from John, and a 4.1 from me. The next episode we're going to get, which is going to be the last episode before a mid-season break until February 10th. No, no Vader voice, no. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we will have a bit of a break in Discovery after this uh, next episode, episode seven, which is called "But to Connect." Hmm. Which would you like to hear the log line for it? Sure. Tensions rise as representatives from across the galaxy 
gathered to confront the threat of the dark matter anomaly. Zora's new sentience raises difficult questions. Hmm. It's kind of vague, but still interesting because <laughs> it seems like Zora is still going to be impacting us <laughs> as we go on throughout the season. Hopefully yeah. she doesn't doesn't turn into control, but who knows? Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to wrap it up there. Guys, if you've listened to us, if we got something wrong or you just want to write in and give us your feedback, you can do that by sending in feedback to fans at DiscussingTrek.com or hitting us up at DiscussingTrek on any and all social medias. And you can also use those outlets to respond to Trek trivia. John, can you give us the answer to our questions from last week and let us know if you have a new question for us? Absolutely. So my last question, my question for last week was, you know, there was four denominations of gold press latinum. And I gave you two. Two was strips and bars. What were the other two? Actually, did not look this up. So enlighten me, sir. So the smallest denomination of gold press latinum, not a strip, but a slip. A slip? Yep. Huh. So you have a slip of them. So that's what you usually see them playing with when they're playing Tungo on DS9. The largest denomination of gold press latinum is bricks. Oh, so clear now. <laughs> so when you hear you watch the DS9 episode, Who Mourns for Mourn? Well, I mentioned that when they asked the question, uh, he actually had a quite large I don't what an inheritance, but he had a large amount of gold press latinum that everybody was trying to steal from me. He had to fake his death to hide it. And it was going to be, if I don't remember correctly, it was a thousand bricks. I could have sworn those are bars in there, but let you know, I didn't didn't pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were bricks. So we have slips, strips, bars and bricks. Slit strips, bars, and bricks. Okay, that's easy enough to remember, I think. <laughs> cool question, man. I like that one. That's pretty good. All right, and for my next question. So, we all know there was a NASA shuttlecraft when we had the shuttle program going on, and that shuttle was named Enterprise. Many Trek fans know, and if you didn't know, they originally commissioned this to be named something else, and then there was a ton of letters written in requesting that NASA recommissions it as Enterprise. Do you know what they were planning on calling this shuttle before they received those letters? Wait, a mass group of people forcing a entity to do something differently than they would have otherwise? That never happens. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, go figure that happened back then. <laughs> with letters, with paper, folks. <laughs> right. We didn't have to go online and fill out the things. <laughs> they actually took time and wrote letters. Oh, man. Uh, suffice it to say, in the words of Tuvok, I have no idea what the answer is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I can leave that for next week as well, sir. So the question is, what was the original name for the NASA shuttle Enterprise before it was changed Due to fan petition. Yep, that's it. And real quick, real quick, I just want to throw out there for everybody. I got a bit of uh, maybe not so great news, but just so everybody's aware that's listening. Paramount has made the decision to remove Trek from Amazon as well, starting Mm. in January. So in the U.S., the only place to get Trek will be Paramount Plus. Man, it's Paramount Plus or bust. Seems like, man. 
Wow, that's interesting. Well, I guess it makes sense if they're trying to bolster their own platform. But wow, they need to they need to up the tech behind their platform before they do all this. The silver lining to that is if you're paying for Paramount Plus through Amazon as like one of your subscription channels on Amazon Prime, you still can watch it there, obviously. Uh, But yeah, if you're just Amazon Prime solely, you will not get Trek. And of course, we already knew they were moving it from Netflix. Mm, Interesting stuff. But with that, uh, thanks for the news, John. And as well as that Trek trivia, which, again, you can send in feedback for that at fans at DiscussingTrek.com or at DiscussingTrek on any and all social medias. Guys, thanks for listening. As always, we appreciate you just, quite frankly, stick with us through this year. (laughs) We've done a lot of episodes this year. And it's been fun (laughs) to have you guys along for the ride. And hopefully you got some goodness from this podcast. So, yeah, thanks, guys. And with that, we will go ahead and wrap this up. Until next time, guys, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to DiscussingTrek.com slash subscribe. Hey guys, it's Sergio from Reality Breached. We've got a bunch of different podcasts over on our network at realitybreached.com, and one of my favorites is Shellheads, a TMNT podcast. Shellheads is a deep dive into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in ways you've never heard before. From the early comic days to the current Nick show, nothing is off limits. Jeff from the Warp Zone Arcade joins me to binge watch and power read through a comprehensive library of TMNT fandom. Check Shellheads out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. For more details, visit realitybreached.com. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at discussingnetwork.com. 